Hey there, I hope you're having a lovely summer. I'm Siobhan Hunt, host of Feed, Play, Love. I'm taking a few weeks off over Christmas, but I didn't want to leave you hanging, so I've selected some of my favourite stories and interviews from 2021. Sarah Dingle is an incredible journalist. As a donor-conceived child, she also has great passion for the transparency that's needed for children when it comes to understanding where they come from. I found this conversation insightful and vulnerable. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. In Australia today, becoming a parent is possible for more people thanks to science. Single mothers by choice, same-sex couples, infertile couples, these are all people who will have their families through donor sperm or eggs. For those who long to have children, the path to parenthood can be heartbreaking and hard. Pregnancy can become an all-consuming goal. But what of the children that are born from donor material? Sarah Dingle is an ABC journalist, a mum, and author of Brave New Humans, The Dirty Reality of Donor Conception. And she has some words of caution for those caught up in the pursuit of a family. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi. Well, thank you. Do we know how many babies will be born in Australia today or currently with donor eggs or sperm? Oh, or embryos. No, I have no idea. Um The problem is that we have never kept track in Australia of all the people who are donor-conceived. And we have been practising donor conception in a clinical setting for decades. Um, Soon we will have 100 years of donor conception in Australia because it began either in Sydney in 1938 or in Victoria in 1940. And that's wow. that's not DIY. That's by doctors. Yeah. <laughs> not with a turkey base. <laughs> no, 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 no. So this is, you know, if you like, an institutional form of donor conception um, that we have had for a very long time, but we have not put in the appropriate safeguards around it, let alone counted how many people have been made. Which seems astounding because I was going to say, I was assuming that it wasn't perhaps as common when you were born as it is today. Would that be true, even though there is this long history? Don't think so. Um, We know that the slide towards commercialisation and sort of mass provision of donor conception began in the 70s, ramped up in the 80s, and that correlates with um, adoption numbers falling. All of a sudden, there were less children available for adoption because abortion was made more freely available to women, because single parenthood became less taboo in the 70s, Um, And so all of a sudden you didn't have this kind of extremely loose adoption practice where babies were taken from birth mothers, whether they wanted it or not. Um, And then what happened was if you had less of those children, all of a sudden there was a need or a demand that fertility specialists saw in people who wanted to have children but found they couldn't. And that's when all of this really ramped up. Okay. So if we go to your personal experience, you only found out that you were donor conceived when you were 27, that your father wasn't your biological parent. Um, I'm curious to know, has your mum ever explained why she didn't tell you? Look, um, it's complex. She hasn't um, addressed it in depth. um, But what I know is that, first of all, it's really hard to tell your child the truth after 27 years of keeping it a secret. 
And also, in my particular family circumstance, um, my social father, I call him, the man who raised me, really good dad, he died when I was 15. So after that, it must have become even more difficult to tell me the truth because all of a sudden, at a very you know basic level, there's not two people who can sort of shoulder that burden, there's only one. Um, but what I also know is that when my mother and father went to their fertility clinic, and perhaps still to this day, I don't know because I'm not privy to their operations, but fertility specialists told parents to pretend the donor conception had not happened, that it had not ever taken place, just go home, you know, keep going in your relationship and perhaps maybe this was a natural conception. (laughs) (laughs) Which, of course, that's only possible for heterosexual couples, I should say. So obviously single people going through donor conception, same-sex couples, that's not an option. But for heterosexuals, that is a deception that you can push. And that creates a lot of damage. Yeah, and I mean, there's so much going on there. It kind (laughs) of blows my mind. Yeah. but if we go back to that idea about why um, you potentially you weren't told, it, it's interesting that you say that donor conception became more of a thing as adoption dropped because I would assume that most people today would know that it, it is good practice to tell a child if they're adopted or to explain it. And we talk a lot about modern families and how they're created and, and we talk about that a lot. Um, but it seems that there is a huge distinction in people's heads between being adopted and being donor conceived. Have you found that in your investigations that people just don't equate it, that somehow they've managed to um, hive it off? Yeah, make it, a, <laughs> make it like you say, oh, no, maybe it was natural if you just think about it that way. Absolutely. And that's one of the main reasons why I've written this book, because we do not apply the same considerations to donor conception as we do with adoption. And part of that is a a very deliberate push, um, led above all by industry, to make it seem like it's, it's just a minor consideration, that half your child's DNA coming from someone else, or perhaps 100% of your child's DNA coming from two other people, is negligible, does not matter. And the problem is, it does matter. And we know that it matters because we have had centuries of adoption and we have seen the damage that closed adoption does. Australia has deliberately legislated for open adoption in all states and territories so that all adoptees have the legal right to find out their birth family, um, to have um, uh, uh, access to their original birth certificate or an integrated birth certificate, depending on where you live. Um, So we we recognise in adoption that biological family matters, but somehow we pretend that it doesn't when it comes to donor conception. And I come back to the profit motive there. I think there is a very real financial incentive to push that myth that it does not matter. For those parents who have either used donor egg sperm embryo or who are considering doing it because of fertility reasons, whether they're in a heterosexual couple or not... um, I can imagine in their minds, they're thinking, oh, but we really want this baby. So in, not, not in terms of profit, but we want this baby. So maybe if they were given up for adoption, it was because they couldn't raise the child or there was some kind of um, story behind that that could be harmful for the child. What would you say to those parents who are like, but, you know, it's different? Um, well, 
It's not different. It, it doesn't matter who you are. You need to know your biological parents and your full or half biological siblings to protect your own mental health, but also, very importantly, to protect your own physical health. You need to know um, what genetic risk of genetic disease you may carry. One of my friends who is donor-conceived, Narelle Gretsch, an amazing advocate for donor-conceived people in Victoria, she died in her early 30s, we were the same age, of bowel cancer, which was discovered only in her late 20s, and by the time she was diagnosed it was terminal, and her surgeon told her that when that stage 4 bowel cancer occurs in someone so young, there is a genetic component. You need to know family medical history in order to be able to protect yourself, to get yourself checked and monitored and tested for all these kinds of things. And the other thing is, this is a very unpleasant topic for a parenting podcast, I'm really sorry, (laughs) but the risk of accidental incest in donor conception is quite real. And I can see you're making a face. I'm also, (laughs) internally, I am also making a face, don't worry. Um, But if you don't know who your half-brothers or full brothers and sisters are, it's a real concern. Your child deserves to have the chance to protect themselves. They need that information. And going back to a a personal and emotional level, because everyone wants their children to grow up happy and healthy, um, how did it impact you when your mum told you that your father, who you'd grown up with, you were a young adult at that point, how did you feel when she told you he wasn't your real dad? I was utterly blown apart I suppose, is the only way I can describe that. My identity was all of a sudden gone um, because I didn't understand anything about why I was the way I was anymore and perhaps none of it was real anyway. Um, And it got to the point where, you know, I was still carrying on my life, going to work, all these things, but every morning just as a start to my day, I'd wake up and I'd brush my teeth or whatever and I'd look in the mirror and I didn't actually recognise my own face anymore. It was just a shape with some colours and mass and and things because I didn't understand what had gone into making me. And that's that's what it does. People cope with that. Don't even see people cope with that in all kinds of ways, some far less healthy than others. But it it really does matter. It, it matters um, very much and that is not an ideal situation. It is much better to grow up with the truth because, you know, when you're a kid, whatever you grow up with is normal. Is part of the reason that it can um, kind of be imagined away that this is a donor-conceived child because fertility clinics clinics will encourage parents to choose a donor that looks like them? Yeah, once again, I don't know what clinics encourage parents to do because I, for obvious reasons, have never gone through that system. Um, but I know that when my parents went through it, donors were deliberately matched to the physical characteristics of the social father. So same hair colour, eye colour, height, etc., to maximise the chance of successfully pretending that this was the natural child of the commissioning couple, to enhance the lie, essentially. Um, and uh, I mean, truth will out. <laughs> I never had any inkling that my father was not my father. And look, he was a great dad. He was a really great dad. And I never had any clue because we were so alike and we got on so well. Um, 
But when the bomb was dropped, all of a sudden it became extremely important to me to find out the truth, not because I had suffered in any way by being raised by someone who was not my biological father, but because it was an important part of me to find. Yeah. Another part of this puzzle you touched on before was the fact that you, if you're donor-conceived and you don't know, there could be other siblings out there, half-siblings. How was that process for you, kind of not knowing whether you had half-siblings? I mean, I understand you you're you were brought up as a single child, just you and your folks. So what was that like? Um, look, pretty strange. I mean... Obviously, as an only child, you always want siblings anyway, so that was quite exciting. <laughs> um, but I, I find that I don't know as an adult how to be with my siblings because I, I know I have quite a few and I've met a couple of them and they're great. Um, but I'm not sure how to be a sister. I just try to be, you know, a friend, a presence, but I, I don't really know and no one really knows, I guess, what, what this relationship is when you find half siblings or full siblings when you're already an adult how does that how does that develop no one knows no one can tell me so i guess that means that i can't get it wrong um <laughs> there's a positive yeah <laughs> but it's nice it is yeah. nice yeah um and your father your social father he passed away when you were 15 mm-hmm. um how did the news make you feel about him once you found out didn't change a thing to be honest I don't know if he had plans to tell me at any point or if he just meant to keep it quiet. I've got no idea, but it it actually didn't make a difference to how I felt about him. Um and I'm not I'm not just saying this to, you know, reassure anyone. It's the absolute truth. The thing is, I think commissioning parents who use donor conception get very worried and perhaps threatened by the notion that their child has biological parents out there somewhere and that is a threat to their own parenting. It actually doesn't matter. The human heart is capable of entertaining the notion of more than two parents. We know that in step families. We know that in blended families. um, Donor conception is no different. They're not going to love you any less because there's another person out there. I can imagine that there are people listening going, oh, shit, what am I going to do now? Let's say they have a baby or a toddler or they're young enough, the child is young enough that they haven't explained yet where they came from. As a mother yourself, have you got a sense of how they should approach that with their child? Um, I think it just comes down to being honest with your child right from the start. Have the difficult conversation as early as possible. I mean, I know some people have that conversation with their donor-conceived children at the age of two or whatever. This is how you came to be. This is what we know, etc., Um, And I think that's really important because there are a number of studies to show that the earlier you give them the truth, the better their mental health outcomes will be. As a mum, I'm also very much in favour of just making life easy for myself. (laughs) So I would say don't set up a big secret that you have to hide all the time. (laughs) You don't have the emotional energy for that anyway. Um, But yeah, the thing is about donor conception, there are a lot of parents these days who will tell their children the truth about their being donor conceived, and that's great. Um, But that's not the end of the story. The other thing that you need to give your children is 
the ability to know not only their biological parents, but also their biological half-siblings. And this is where it gets really tricky, because if you have gone through a fertility clinic, they will not give you that information. If you have a known donor, completely different situation. If you're friends with that person, possibly have been friends with them for a long time, you know, your kids can grow with them. And if they have any, any families, with their families in their lives. But if you have used a donor through a fertility clinic, even if you have the right to that donor's name, you will not have the right to any other children that donor has mothered or fathered. And that is a real problem for you and for your kids and for the other kids. Mm. And um, I won't go into it because your book does it so well, but obviously in this process, you've come across many, many barriers to finding out the truth of your own donor conception. Have you felt any response from this book, from those fertility clinics, from parents who've used donor um, material to have their families? I mean, what has the response been like to your book? From the fertility industry? Yeah. Nothing. Oh, wow. Nothing. Um, <laughs> make of that what you will. Um, <laughs> I have had some really lovely messages from parents of donor-conceived people, from family members of donor-conceived people, from donor-conceived people themselves, and also from adoptees, which is really nice mm. because um, donor-conceived people and adoptees we see each other and we have had to face um, very similar obstacles. Not always the same. We're still different groups of people, but there is a commonality of experience. So that's that's really nice. Most of the feedback has been wonderful. Um, one or two things from, um, interestingly enough, parents of donor-conceived people have been not wonderful, rather aggressive, I would say. And that tells me that um, they're... They're worried about what they've done. Mm, and scared yeah. about the impact. Yeah. What rights do donor-conceived children have in Australia today? It depends where in Australia you were donor-conceived and it depends when you were donor-conceived. And it is, in a word, a mess. It is a <laughs> total like a mess. mess. So there is no national law in Australia governing donor conception or, in fact, the fertility industry whatsoever. The feds leave it to the states and territories, which is a problem because only half of Australia's states and territories bother to have any laws either. The other half, nothing. But in the four states and territories where there are laws, the right to know biological parents exists only for certain groups of people. So, for instance, I'm from Sydney. In New South Wales, only donor-conceived people born after the 1st of January 2010 oh, wow. have the right to know their donor or donors. And no one has the right to know siblings, by the way. But So 11-year-olds and under mm. can know their biological parents. The rest of us, nothing, nada. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it really it is, it is a disaster. <laughs> and you did actually find your biological dad, but you're a gun journalist who works at the ABC who's been doing investigative reporting for many years. I can't imagine if it was hard for you to find your biological father, I can't imagine how much harder it's going to be for, for someone who doesn't have your skills. Look, I tried every possible avenue you can think of, the government, the law, the media, etc., to find my biological father and over years and none of that worked. So maybe being a journalist <laughs> isn't what you need. I don't know. Luck. Lots of luck. <laughs> yeah. But um, what really, what worked for me in the end and for my half-sister as well was 
we used DNA. And this is, it's not a backdoor option, but it's, it's, it's an avenue which is very conveniently, I would say, overlooked by the system because God knows the system has not helped us at all. Um, and the, the thing about DNA is that direct-to-consumer DNA tests are now so popular and their databases are so big that you can actually work out who your biological family is even if they have never done a DNA test. So wow. we could find our biological father even though he himself had never done a DNA test or, in fact, heard of these DNA tests at all because he's a bit of a technophobe. Um, so <laughs> anonymity is dead in donor conception. I really do not recommend that you go down any sort of an anonymous donor conception path, not only because it's against national ethical guidelines in Australia, but it's not going to work. And the truth will be uncovered probably in a very unpleasant way. Hmm. I have, you know... Come across studies of hundreds of donor conceived people from around the world, fully one third found out that they were donor conceived through a DNA test. Wow. And that's a brutal experience. Yeah. It, it's such a complex story, and um, your book is beautifully written, so it's definitely worth reading. Thank you. Whatever side of this story you, you fall on. I am curious about your own mother. Like, how has she responded to this incredible mountain of work that you've produced from that one conversation you had in a restaurant that she probably hadn't planned, didn't sound like she'd planned it when she told you? How does she reflect on all this now? Look, she's probably resigned to it by now. My, <laughs> my relentless publishing, absolutely relentless. Um, look, she, I don't think that conversation was planned at all, but one of the things that she did mention in that conversation was, you know, the only reason I would need to know who my donor was was for family medical history. And a number of things have happened in our family since to make that even more important. And so... I guess from her perspective, finally, I, I now have that. And not only do I have access to family medical history, this is another reason why it's good to know who your biological parents are. If anything else comes up, I can access that information as well. It's ongoing family medical history. And in fact, my biological father is extremely conscientious about that. You know, whenever <laughs> any sort of minor ailment pops up, he tells me in an email. Um, and, and, you know, that's actually, I really appreciate it because it has given me some sort of a sense of the path ahead Mm. And I can manage my own health. Do you think it has any meaning for your children in terms of this journey you've been on? Oh, for sure. Um, the thing is, like, it, it doesn't just affect me. So my children, not only do they have a, you know, now biological grandfather, but they have cousins, probably many cousins. And I can't give them the names or the knowledge of all those cousins because I've only found a few siblings of, you know, the massive however many siblings there are out there waiting for me. And yet I think that's really important information for my children to have, once again, for their own physical and mental health. I want them to be able to be happy and to protect themselves. Yeah. Sarah, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you. That's Sarah Dingle. She's the author of Brave New Humans, The Dirty Reality of Donor Conception, and you'll find links to the book in the notes of this episode. 
I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.